you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking in just a few moments at 1 Peter chapter 2. But before we begin that, I just want to ask a few questions. I want to get a feel of who you are and, and what kind of people you are. Uh, and so this is the question I'm wondering, because generally people fall into one of two categories. Um, when it comes to the topic of cliffhangers, you know what I mean when I say cliffhangers? Television shows or movies or novels or those kind of things that kind of leave you hanging on the edge. Now, you, generally there are a couple of types of people. There are those people that love them and enjoy kind of journeying through them and enjoy getting the information when it comes. These are the people that can walk into a house already decorated for Christmas and have packages under the tree with their name on it and are perfectly content with letting them lie there without disturbing them. And then there are the people that don't like cliffhangers or suspense. If they get a book and it begins to get a little too hairy, they jump ahead a few pages. Or there are even people that read the last chapter before they begin the book. These are the people that family members know they cannot wrap their presents until five minutes before it is time to open them. So here's the question. Which are you? I mean, you know, cliffhangers are a part of our lives. They're part of our television series. They're part of our movies. It didn't start there. Some of the first cliffhangers were uh, actually serial books written by guys like Charles Dickens, but they're part of our lives. So where do you? I want to see a show of hands. And if you... Sometimes our spouses know us better than we know ourselves in this area. A few weeks ago, Susan and I were at a movie together, and it got a little, um, got a little intense and suspenseful. And I look over, and she's got her phone out, and I said, don't be using your phone. She said, I'm not calling anybody. I'm looking up the plot of the movie to see what happens in a few minutes. All right? I said, well, don't show me. You know, it's one of those... If I watch a movie before Susan watches it, I don't tell her anything. Well, does this happen? You're not going to answer me, are you? If she sees a movie before I do, I can't watch it with her. Because she'll say, well, you know what's going to happen here. So here's what I want you to do, all right? I'm going to ask you a question and you just respond. If you're one of those people that enjoys the suspense, you like to let it naturally unfold. You read a book as it's intended to be read. You Watch a movie without having to know what happens next. If that's you, raise your hand. See, we all think we're that. If you're not, if you're one of those that reads to the end of the book or you read ahead or you like to know the answers before you really get started, let me see your hands. All right. At least we have a few honest people around, all right? Okay. Well, let me tell you something. We are in one of the greatest cliffhangers that has ever existed. The cliffhanger that you are a part of is the direction that this country is going to take in the years ahead. What's been interesting in our country is that there have been these waves of generations and populations. And as we've seen populations rise and fall, the country has kind of 
risen and fallen with it. And so several years ago, the United States experienced something they had never experienced, which was a population boom. And as a result, we had a generation of people called the baby boomers, all right? The baby boomers, even though they are not willing to admit it, are moving into their golden years. I read something the other day. This is a church leader study guy that says that in the future, senior adult ministries are going to be on the decline. Because the baby boomers will never identify themselves as senior adults. This is a guy, he says, so if you want a senior adult ministry in your church, you got to name it something else. All right, I heard some amens there. That must have been from the boomers. All right, so let me ask you, how many of you are part of that baby boomer generation? Let me see your hands. All right. Coming after the baby boomers were a couple of generations. My, my particular generation is called um, Gen X. Uh, we had some other names that weren't so nice. The slacker generation, the apathetic generation. I mean, you are Gen Xers here. Let me see. All right. The next generation, here's the crazy thing. Okay, The baby boomers were called the baby boomers because they were the largest Single group of people that ever was born in the United States. Guess what, boomers? That's not the case anymore. There is a new generation that is rising. If you were born from 1980 to the year 2000, you're now considered the millennial generation, and it is the largest group of people in a generation that has ever existed in America. Now, here's why there's a cliffhanger going on, okay? Because over the last four generations in America, commitment to the Lord and to the local church has diminished in each generation. And the issue is the generation that is coming. How many of you here were born from 1980 to the year 2000, all right? The issue is If the trend continues, America will have more unbelievers than have ever existed in America. A higher percentage as well as a total number. A few weeks ago, uh, getting ready for the U.S. Open Golf Tournament, on Sunday nonetheless, the final round coverage was coming on, and NBC ran this patriotic piece before the golf tournament. And what they had were children reading the Pledge of Allegiance. And as they read the Pledge of Allegiance, because the golf tournament was happening in Washington, D.C., they were showing the children in a classroom with a flag behind them reading it. Then they would show a monument. They would do a a, a word from one of the press. They did all these kind of things mixed in. And the children recited the pledge. And they said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands with liberty and justice for all. They kind of left something out there, didn't they? There was a part in there they left out, and it was the phrase, one nation under God, and rightfully so, 
not just because they decided to leave out part of the pledge, but because of the particular part they left out, they got slammed on Twitter and uh, Facebook and online and calls. And three hours later, into the coverage, I didn't actually see the opening. But three hours later, I was watching it, and they started to apologize for the opening. And so that made me think, well, what did they do wrong in the opening? And I went back. And a couple of days later, as I was reading some stuff about the controversy, and about NBC and their apologies, and that it wasn't intended in any way, and all of that, the Lord just kind of said something to me. And in my time together, I was actually thinking about today and where I was going to go today. And I just had this thought, and I'm convinced it's from the Lord. It was just, what's worse, leaving it out or saying it and it not be true? Because, you know, we can say things and it doesn't mean they're true. Last night, I uh, got together with a few friends, about 50,000. And I went to a concert in downtown Nashville. And uh, my best friend growing up and I went to the concert. It was kind of one of these cultural events we wanted to be a part of. And um, some of you may not know who U2 is, and that's okay. But that's who I went to see, all right? And it was a big deal, big concert. We had a great time. And I was struck by something. In the middle of the concert, um, the lead singer for U2 started to sing one of their biggest hits. It's a song called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And if you watch a, a movie from when they wrote it, the guy that wrote it describes it as a gospel song about their relationship with the Lord. And so they started to sing it, and I know the words, and I, I like the words, and so I, I was encouraged. And he, it was one of those songs that everybody knows it, so the lead singer would stop singing and let the 50,000 people sing it. And they came to a point when 50,000 people sang these words. You broke the bonds and you loosed my chains. You carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe. Now, from the lead singer and the people that wrote that, that is a declaration of faith in Jesus Christ and the cross that he bore for us. But what I couldn't help but think was how hollow it sounded coming from 50,000 people a majority of whom probably didn't understand or mean it. And it just reiterated this thought in my mind. How meaningless is it when we declare we are one nation under God, but we're not? That doesn't mean that we don't have a background in it, a foundation in it. Now, I'm not one that goes back and quotes all the all the founding fathers. Many of the founding fathers were believers. They were real men who had real problems like many of us do. Some of them weren't quite the believers that we were led to believe at times. And some of them are more of a believer than we were led to believe. But it's obvious through our history that we have, as a nation, looked to the Lord, at least in our dialogue. Abraham Lincoln, anybody know him, right? President. This is what he did when he called for a day of fasting and prayer at the Civil War. He said, it is the duty of nations as well as of men who owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions and humble sorrow. 
yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the truth announced in the Scripture, proven by history, that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. We have grown in numbers and wealth and power as no other nation has grown. But we have forgotten God. People have noticed this trend of saying we love the Lord, but not really following In Time Magazine in 1949, somebody wrote that the greatest threat to our civilization comes from within. Our civilization, for all its churches and all its churchgoers, is predominantly a secular, godless civilization. But the words keep flowing. Here's a recent president. I pray that God will show me and all of us the limits of our understanding. I pray that I might walk closer with God and make that walk my first and my most important task. It's so easy for me to become consumed in our daily worries and our daily concerns. It's even busy. It's even easier when everybody is busy and stressed. My prayer is that we would seek his face each and every day. When I wake in the morning, I wait on the Lord and I ask him to give me the strength to do right by our country and its people. And when I go to bed at night, I wait on the Lord and I ask him to forgive me my sins, look after my family and the American people, and make me an instrument of his will. You might know who that was. His name's Barack Obama. The guy that has been called the least religious president we've had. Now, I'm not here to debate his faith. In just a few paragraphs before that, he gives a account of how he accepted and he uses the word Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My point is that the Lord has kept bringing to me, it's not really about the words even that the founding fathers wrote or that contemporary people write. It's not about that. Because the strength in our nation has never been about our leaders saying words. It has been in the people of God doing what they're supposed to do. The strength of our nation of being one nation under God has never been about our politicians. It's been about our church people. And that means if we as a country are seeing the decline of what it looks like a nation giving dependence and obedience and praise and worship unto God, it is not the politicians who are to blame. It is us. And so the question that I come out of that with is, then what do we do about it? I mean, what are we supposed to do? First Peter chapter 2. And it's not hard to look around our cultural climate and see kind of faith in the Lord deteriorating. I mentioned that millennial generation. At this moment, when you ask millennials about their religious preference, most of them have None or they like them all. And if you go down to the root of it, you find about 10% that are evangelical believers 
actively involved in a church. Ten percent. The the average in America has been over the last few years about thirty. So what do we do? Well, we're going to address today how we. Today we're going to address how we deal with the government, how we show our allegiance to our Lord and to our country. And then next week we're going to talk about, continue our Life App series about taking the gospel to people. Here's the first thing that we should do. If we're going to be one nation under God, it is simply this. We need to be good citizens. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Verse 13 says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. The first step that Peter would tell these people is you need to be good citizens. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, then we need to do that. Now, um, if what he says here is that government is God's uh, servant, that, that God is still in control, that God is still on his throne, that God is the one that still ultimately is overall. And if there are governments in place, that we need to understand them and be in submission to them. That we need to cooperate whenever possible, which means obeying the laws of the land, which means paying taxes, which means voting in elections, which means serving in the armed forces when called upon. It means contributing to the well-being of society. We are to be salt and light in the midst of the country in which we live. But it's more than just keeping rules. It's more than just following the speed limit or paying the ticket when you don't. The idea here is, and he uses this word in verse 15, that it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Peter is calling for a positive and respectful attitude towards government even when we don't necessarily agree. Now we're going to talk in a moment about ways that we can kind of challenge the government, but... The first thing is we must respect it. They say, well, <laughs> but Pastor, Peter doesn't know what, what, what the political climate's like today. I, I mean, Peter didn't have 14 shows that the whole purpose of the show is for everybody to yell at each other. Peter didn't have websites that are constantly stirring the pot. Peter didn't have, well, you're right. Peter didn't have all that. He just had a guy named Nero. You might know who Nero is. He was the ruler of what? Of Rome. Nero liked to have a favorite uh, pastime, and that was using Christians for his own pleasure. The rumors about Nero are monstrous. That he lit Christians on fire to light the way to his palace. That he regularly sent them into the Colosseum. That he was abusive beyond belief. When the city of Rome nearly burned to the ground, you know that old fable, while Nero, while Rome fell, burned, Nero fiddled, right? He blamed it on the Christians. 
and he unleashed a wave of persecutions against him. The chances are good that it is under Nero's persecution that Peter, who wrote this book, actually died. And so you have to understand, Peter didn't have our current political climate. He had one much worse than we have. And he says, you show respect. Let me ask you a question. In our political engagement, are our Christian brothers and sisters, and even you and me, are we the most cordial and respectful people in the argument? Are we the ones that people look at and go, you know what, I disagree with them, but at least they're respectful and cordial in the way they interact. Because what Peter would tell us is that we in some way have to respect it. We need to be committed to fostering a respectful, informed, nonpartisan engagement with political affairs and government leaders. If you look at every poll you can find, Americans are fed up with the toxic atmosphere of our politics. Wouldn't it be great if as believers we were the ones leading us out of the toxic arguments? Well, Pastor, what happens when we don't agree? Do we just roll over? We just let people say, well, those Christians, they won't fight anything. No. Peter doesn't say you have to do everything that they say. His idea here is that we're under submission to them, but we can disagree. We can disagree publicly and respectfully. We can protest. We can disobey. But even in those situations, believers must maintain a posture of respect for those in office. I mentioned the quote from uh, President Obama um, a few minutes ago. And, And at that national prayer breakfast where he shared a little bit of his testimony and he shared that about his life, he kind of gave three prayer requests he would give to people that wanted to pray for him. And one of the things he said there was that being in that job very quickly turns you into a person of prayer. Now, whether he prays or not, as believers, it's our responsibility to pray for him. He said three things that he prayed for, and they are very legitimate things that we could pray. He said that he prayed in accordance with Old Testament and New Testament that he would be faithful to care for those who can't care for themselves, the poor and the needy. He prayed that he would have humility in leading and would learn from those who disagree with him. And he prayed, asked that we would pray that he would walk more closely with God. Now, here's the thing. Regardless of who you voted for, your political understanding, or what you think on a ton of issues, there is no reason as believers in Jesus Christ we couldn't pray those three things for him every day. That he would draw closer to the Lord. That he would protect those that need to be protected under the advisement of the Lord. And that he would listen and learn from those that disagree. Peter is saying here is you need to be involved. If you can be involved, Peter really couldn't be involved. He couldn't go to Nero and go, hey, listen, we've got some issues with the way you're treating us. We do. That's the great thing about being in this country. We have a voice. We have an opportunity. So we need to vote our convictions. We need to support those who 
live out our convictions in the political arena. And we need to pray for people continually. We need to speak out on issues that are near and dear to our hearts because they're near and dear to the hearts of the Lord. But the second thing this morning I want to tell you is you must be good citizens of this earth, but you must never forget our ultimate allegiance. We're reminded that God is king over all, and we're reminded in Scripture that no matter where we live, our allegiance first and foremost does not go to a city or a state or a nation. It goes unto our Lord. I watched a video this week. Uh, about a dad talking about his son learning the Pledge of Allegiance. He talked about how he remembered being in school and saying the Pledge of Allegiance, and he is encouraged by his son learning the Pledge of Allegiance. And at the end, he says, but the thing I hope he learns most is that he must pledge allegiance to God first in his life. And while we're here celebrating an amazing country that God has provided, we must realize that our first obligation is to the Lord, even above our nation. Scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Our final understanding is that our ultimate allegiance is to Christ. Our highest calling is to bring the good news of the gospel to bear on the whole world. We are proud and grateful to be Americans. But as followers of Christ, we are first and foremost citizens of a heavenly kingdom and subjects of the Most High God. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but then he also said, but give unto God what is God. We owe our nation loyalty, submission, and service, but we owe our lives and our love first to God. I mentioned at the beginning that I'm one of those people that doesn't like to flip to the end of the book to find out what's going to happen. But to be honest with you, in this cliffhanger, I'd like to see the end right now. I'd like to see which way our country is going to go in this largest generation that has ever existed if they're going to end up being a group of people that becomes ignited for the Lord. There are some positive signs about reasons they would be open to the gospel. Or if they're going to lead our country down a continuing path of secularism and away from the Lord. I'd like to know the answer to the question of whether or not we are truly one nation under God. But unfortunately, for now, that's not one of those books I get to flip to the end of. God asked me to be faithful in the midst of what I'm doing. So here's the question I'm going to ask you. On this 4th of July weekend, as we celebrate our country, what are you going to do to be part of the solution of turning your life and this country back towards an understanding of the Lord? What responsibility are you going to take on? Who are you going to share with? What are you going to sacrifice what are you willing to say? How are you willing to pray to see those kind of things happen? And would you dedicate yourself this weekend to begin to work towards that? Not for the sake of our nation, although that would be a great benefit, but for the sake of the name of our Lord.
We can never be one nation under God until there are churches under God. And there will never be churches under the leadership of God until there are people under God. So let me ask you a question. Are you willing to surrender your life under the lordship and the leadership of God? Would you pledge allegiance to Him saying that you are one person under God?